episode is brought to you by wild foods holy heck mercedes have you tried their keto bar so yummy and only two grams of net carbs and they're using real food to create their flavor so no sugar alcohols and all the protein and fat you need to fuel your low carb lifestyle yes i love it yep and with natural ingredients like almond butter and collagen it isn't just keto friendly it also adheres to the primary values of wild foods where they believe real food is fundamental to human health That fits right in with my health goals. And because we know how health conscious our magic mob is, Wild Foods is offering the Magic Hour listeners 12% off your entire order. Yep, 12% off. To sign up, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour. That's magic with a J. Again, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour to get your discount. This is part two. If you missed part one of this episode, you can find it in our podcast library now. If you're all caught up, welcome back. So Dr. Dan, how is your quarantine going? Awesome. (laughs) 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 It's that time in between the worlds where you don't really know what the fuck's happening. Yeah. I know. It's like a global uh, dark night of the soul. Yeah. It's it's probably exactly what we need to go through. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually like, I mean, my ego doesn't like it. My soul digs it. Because mm-hmm. it's like, holy shit, awesome stuff's happening. But I don't have the opportunity to um, like have my, my best natural antidepressant in action because I tore my MCL. So I'm just hobbling mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. not exercising as much as I'd like. And it's just forcing even more of a reflection, mm-hmm. slow down yeah. process. What are you um, doing instead? Are you like breathing, doing a lot of breath work stuff? Breath work, playing the ditch, meditating, mm-hmm. reading, catching up on lots of just random things that I've squirreled away that I said I was going to do and we're moving in two weeks. So it's oh, yeah. like going a through a whole bunch of uh, stuff that's good to just declutter and decompress. Yeah. 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 Hmm. How about you guys? I feel like I'm having that same kind of... Uh, you know, mental closet cleaning and physical mm-hmm. closet cleaning at the same time. So yeah, even in my dreams, I notice it's like directing me in certain ways to. Yeah, dreams have been so vivid, so crazy so lately. Yeah, yeah, it's good though. It's I feel uh, for me, I normally travel for work constantly, weekly. So this has kind of been a little bit of a relief to actually be in a routine at home. Mm-hmm. It's weird feeling, but. Mm-hmm. I, it's interesting. I've had um, nightmares almost every night for a couple of weeks now of um, like a, a bad guy trying to get me or like Peter Harani, one of our stalkers trying to get me. Last night it was Marilyn Manson, oddly. Mm. Um, but I think that it means like maybe I'm with all this pattern disrupt um, and this, you know, everyone having to pause. Maybe I am like subconsciously afraid of like my bad, like my depression or anxiety, like coming out or coming to get me or something. I don't know. I was trying to dig into the meaning because it's, it's been going on for two weeks now. So there's got to be something that's trying to be revealed. Did you write it down? Yeah. It's uh, well, I, I dream interpretation is such a cool arena. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I even think Carl Jung said this, uh, you know, the, the best interpretation is the one that you make. 
and the one that makes the most sense. And so if somebody's like guiding or reflecting, these are just possibilities. Mm -hmm. And then you feel into it and you're like, yeah, does that make sense? And the classic, that, that's like such a classic dream is to be chased. Mm-hmm. And and to be chased when you can't either can't either move or you can't defend or you're kind of like your feet are like locked in cement or there's an imminent threat and an imminent capture and occasionally it even plays out where you get captured and you get killed and, like, mm-hmm. and that's usually the 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 part of the death of the ego or part of the death of that part of ourselves that we we're really afraid to let go of. Mm you know, there's so much happening right now where there's this sense of disempowerment, mm, being stuck at true. home, not in power, not, not as flexible with our choices, not as empowered and free with our choices as, as is typically the case. And uh, it, I wonder if we're all, because we're all three talking about the same thing, which is the richness of the dream time. Mm-hmm. What happens when we all collectively slow down Mm-hmm. And we oh. get more in touch with our intuition. And there's yeah. not much craziness happening in the matrix that might be like fogging up our dreamscape. Yeah. I think it's that's exactly, you know, we were talking about, um, or you mentioned how this this virus and even your injury is causing you to kind of just slow down, spend some time looking inward, dig out some old stuff and you're moving and all that. But I think that is collectively what's happening. We're just, we're um, slowing down enough to finally hear our thoughts and be disencumbered, you know, by this glorification of busy for a second. And just Mm -hmm. specifically to the dream world, which is like something that I've always had extremely vivid dreams. I know they've always told me things. I have like some sort of psychic connection with my sister and mother who have correlating dreams on the same nights usually when it's like some big thing or something in the family that we need to talk about um but i think that because collectively we're all sitting at home or the majority of us that don't have essential jobs we're not waking up to alarm clocks which means we get to have that more um that that time in the morning where we can lay and remember our dreams and wake up slowly Mm -hmm. and sit with what actually came to us from our subconscious in our dream state Mm -hmm. and i think collectively if we allow it or for who does allow it to, to change us and to move us, it, we will shift. Mm, yeah. 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 So Dr. Dan, last time um, we ended off right before our magic mock questions. And before we go into those, I wanted to discuss um, psychedelics as a tool and the challenges with the pharmaceutical driven medical system and the potential for psychedelic medicine to play a keystone role in the paradigm shift. Um, so first, isn't it our right to use these instead of prescription meds when they are more beneficial, less addictive, and no known lethal dose, in your opinion? Uh, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> let me just turn this off. Um, and let me also, before I answer that question, just reflect again. Our last conversation, I was so impressed and pleased and excited about the nature of y'all's questions. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, they were very thoughtful. They were very direct, open-ended. I could tell you had done your research, and it always generates a really good conversation. So, mm, thank keep, you. Keep doing that for sure. Thank you so much. We're honored. And in uh, direct answer to your question, yes, very much so. These mm-hmm. are our personal 
civil liberties. Mm -hmm. Right now, they're not our civil rights mm -hmm. because unfortunately these, these medicines, natural and synthetic, are illegal. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of them, the ones that we would talk about, the ones in Schedule One. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that's changing, but it, it, everything was stuck into Schedule One because of a fear-based administration. The Nixon mm -hmm. administration that was freaked out about what's happening in Vietnam, everything was starting to unravel in the cultural landscape. There was a huge movement around consciousness, waking up, um, being able to have our own personal choices and freedoms. The birth control pill had just come out, acid was mm -hmm. started being dropped, you know, it was women's liberation movement. There was a lot happening at that time. So the administration was freaked out, stuck everything in schedule one, didn't matter. Didn't matter the data, didn't matter the science. And it took 25 years before there was another trial for mm -hmm. any medicine. And that was DMT in the mid 90s, Rick Strassman's mm -hmm. work. And still that was 25 years ago. So we could just see like there's been this slow movement, but is what happens with any chemistry uh, I'm going to geek out for just a second. In organic, or in organic chemistry, when you bring all these ingredients together, there's this flashpoint that happens. Mm -hmm. You build up to that flashpoint. And when you get closer to the flashpoint, it's where you didn't think anything was happening. And all of a sudden, now it looks like everything's happening. Or like when you're planting a garden and you till the soil and you get rid of the rocks and the weeds and the other bulbs and you plant just that one crop or permaculture design and all of a sudden you see growth come up above ground. Well, there was a lot happening below ground. There's been a lot happening in this movement for a long time. Mm -hmm. so it's just now starting to accelerate where now we're having decriminalization movements. Mm -hmm. We decrimmed psilocybin here in Denver a year ago, uh, almost a year ago, last summer. And then Oakland went and now like 30 to 40 municipalities are moving through decrim legislation so that you don't have to put somebody in jail for minor possession of personal use. That doesn't mean that it's legal. Mm -hmm. All, if most of these, if not all of the ones we were talking about today are still illegal. And so people have to understand their legal landscape. When we talk about medicine work, you have to know that if you're using, then technically you're breaking the law which is a stupid law in the first place. Mm -hmm. But we, we still have to be on the mindful edge of the conversation to demand the shift happen. Mm -hmm. And that's what you guys are doing with these kind of conversations. That's what the whole psychedelic movement is about, is about doing it mindfully with efficacious data to show the validity, because data moves science, right? But, but story moves culture. Mm. You guys are creating the new storyline. We're all doing that together. Mm -hmm. the, the fact that we demand these medicines be available because the five, the five primary psychiatric conditions, depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction, and pain, many of the medicines are good for one, if not all of those conditions. Yeah. And they're better than the standard of care. They're better than pharmaceuticals. So we demand that this legislation pass so that we can have legal protected use mm -hmm. but we also want to do we also want to self-use responsibly so we don't give the doubters right. and skeptics any more ammunition mm -hmm. to say that we're not ready right there has to be the preparation and integration i know um do you think that maybe we'll 
we'll get to a point where these will be prescribed and said so that the medical industry is still benefiting financially and then maybe maybe totally. they'll you yeah, do you think so absolutely because mm. uh, mdma and psilocybin are already in phase three trials yeah they've already been granted green light breakthrough therapy by the feds psilocybin mm -hmm. for treatment resistant depression mdma for treatment resistant ptsd and that's only going to accelerate through this covid craziness because yeah. people are now getting more and more traumatized ketamine is now being able to have even more flexibility be, to be used in telemedicine arena so people mm -hmm. don't have to when they're socially isolating go to a clinic they mm -hmm. can have medicine experience at home that's not my preference because people can oftentimes spontaneously recall and resurface trauma mm -hmm. and if you do that at home mm -hmm. it's you know, the last thing we want to do is recreate more trauma but it's just a highlight of the fact that we're getting creative about how we can use these medicines in a really mm -hmm. effective way. And I suspect, uh, and this is from Hefter Institute, from MAPS, the organization, uh, the powers that be that are really involved in the political movement to, to make this legal framework available, is that from the feds, this could go legal as uh, around 18 months. Oh, wow. Months, plus or minus. Okay. At the state level, Oregon is has a ballot measure for legal psilocybin medicine services to go to public vote later this year, I think in the fall of 2020. That's, mm -hmm. only, that's only a handful of months away. Wow. So that would be this, if that passes, that'll be the same thing what happened in California mm -hmm. with cannabis 20 years ago. When, when California was like, we don't wanna wait for the feds, who knows how long that's gonna take, we're gonna pass it state level and then iterate it and the feds will probably come in which they did they raided a bunch of grow shops mm -hmm. and dispensaries and medical clinics mm -hmm. i doubt that same thing would happen there's too much that's happened now people's awareness of the right mm -hmm. use of these medicines but if that does go then that's even more benefit to leverage our position that these medicines should be legal in the therapeutic arena and then put pressure on the feds to accelerate that timeline yeah. What about people who are bipolar or manic? Are they are are there certain personality disorders that are not safe for psychedelic use? Do you think? Great question. Um, so you mentioned a couple things: bipolar mood disorder, schizophrenia, predisposition towards mania or psychosis. Those are more what's considered technically axis one diagnosis, more like brain level, neurochemical level diagnosis. Um, then you mentioned personality disorders. That's technically an axis two diagnosis, which is a little bit different. It's a different, it's in a different diagnostic cluster. I don't see those being, you know, hugely different. If we look at things on a continuum, mm -hmm. if you look at things on a continuum, they're going to be episodic challenges that people have in their neurochemical landscape, depending on their internal and external environments, mm -hmm. internal environments, toxicity, levels of stress, how they manage that stress their belief systems, what are they programmed to believe in, what's their level of faith and faith in, not necessarily religious faith, but like, what do you have faith in and how are you using the, the internal crises as a leverage point for transformation? Those kind of educational experiences. We all go through that, like our best teachers are our, are our hardest experiences. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you have more of a personality issue that's more of a long standing, not so much episodic kind of fluctuation, but more like a constitutional experience. Challenges with relationships can be a part of a personality cluster 
the, one of the like more specific diagnoses around that is borderline personality disorder. And mm-hmm. the classic image of that is um, uh, Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just like this really strong, obsessive kind of dramatic relational style. And it's mostly because internally there's a lot of fire. There's a lot mm-hmm. of experience of instability. And um, so or like a narcissistic personality disorder. That's another type, right? Mm-hmm. The narcissistic personality, histrionic, bipolar, or uh, borderline, um, obsessive compulsive, obsessive comp- compulsive personality disorder versus obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. One's axis one, one's axis two. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder is a little bit less severe, but it's more constant. Mm-hmm. Whereas OCD tends to be more episodic, a little bit more severe, waxes and wanes. OCPD, the personality, mm-hmm. are more like always there in the background. Got it. And so these kinds of, to come back to the original point, um, there are contraindications of this kind of work for sure. Mm-hmm. Psychosis is a no-go. Mm-hmm. Although I heard Stan Groff talk about, do you guys know Stan Groff? No, no. I mean, I've listened to a lot of your stuff. So just through you mentioning him. (laughs) The dude, the dude is like Yoda, right? Mm. He's taller, older, wiser. I don't know if he's older, but the dude is a (laughs) genius. He's a, he's one of several still living grandfathers of this work. Mm. His, his, his data, his research, his, his prose is deep. He had a really good podcast with Tim Ferriss. Uh, a few years ago, you might guys uh, like to listen to, mm-hmm. but uh, lo- mad respect for Stan. And uh, I heard Stan Groff, we both talked at the same conference and, and I followed up his talk and it was like trying to shoot free throws after Michael Jordan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and in that talk, he, I, he shared the process of helping a woman heal her, what looked like schizophrenic psychotic break with LSD psychotherapy, mm-hmm. which was, I mean, the brass to have yeah. that kind of approach. Right. No one, yeah. like very few people on the planet would think to use LSD. And, it, and part of his rubric or his framework is, well, she had psychosis related to, to birth trauma mm-hmm. and it had, and her trauma had never gotten resolved. So she was stuck in the trauma mm-hmm. and his m- most um, notable tool because he did something like 5,000 LSD psychotherapy sessions. I mean, the, the guy knows how to work with that medicine really well. If you mm. don't know how to work with that medicine, it can be kind of squirrely. So not everybody does uh, use that medicine well. But um, he gave this case report of, of helping that woman heal her trauma with LSD. It was amazing. But that's a, that's a rare situation. Anybody with psychosis or mania, it's usually a no-go for psychedelics because you don't want to create more trauma. Their yeah. gates are already open. Yeah. And psychedelics open the doors of perception, right? Alice Huxley's mm-hmm. book. If their doors of perception are already open, you don't want to blast those open even further. Mm-hmm. So those are two classics. People on psychiatric medications, typically a no-go just mm-hmm. because neurochemically and pharmacologically, psychiatric medications and psychedelics don't play well together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and somebody with really deep standing trauma, if they're working with psychedelics and psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, they have to work with somebody who's trauma trained and know mm-hmm. how, knows how to work them through that process. Yeah. Um, so this is where we get really mindful about how to onboard people mm-hmm. into medicine work and know how to, if somebody is ready 
ideally they would have done a lot of preparation work first. Mm -hmm. uh, I gotta fix this thing in my knee. Um, preparation work means like, do they know how to self-reference, self-reflect, self-regulate? What helps with self-regulation? Meditation, flotation therapy, breath work, being able to, to, to notice when you're in the midst of a freak out and how do you stabilize your system? It's better to be able to have those skills before you do deep work. Because if you get stressed and freaked out in the middle of a medicine experience mm -hmm. and you don't know how to self-regulate, then you're relying only on your facilitator yeah. to self-regulate. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of preparation to build readiness of the experience. And, and then we as clinicians and those that are building these centers for transformation, we get more effective in our hierarchy of medicines, level one, level two, level three medicines of knowing which medicine to use for which person at which time of their healing process. Mm. Just because we have a medicine doesn't mean people are ready to use it or they're mm -hmm. safe to mm -hmm. use it, or it's going to be a um, high likelihood for success. And we don't want to create more trauma. Yeah. Thankfully, these medicines are really good for alleviating trauma. Mm -hmm. So what all do you think goes into creating a bad trip? Uh, it sounds like you mentioned some of those items there, but you know, for I'm sure anyone who's experimented has probably also had themselves a, a trip they weren't the fondest of. Um, yeah. But what do you yeah. think? Yeah, you know, the, the bad trips tend to be, a friend of mine told me this a long time ago when I was early in my medicine path. Uh, he said, a bad day for the ego is usually a good day for the soul. Mm. And a bad trip is usually a bad trip for the ego. Mm. As long as you can trust, trust the medicine, like you know it's clean source, like somebody getting ecstasy off the street thinking yeah. it's going to be clean MDMA for MDMA psychotherapy, yeah. not a good idea. Mm -hmm. Somebody getting a new batch of, <laughs> a friend of mine the other day was working with psilocybin and he thought it was a weak psilocybin and it was actually a very strong strain and he was mm -hmm. already going for a heroic dose. So mm -hmm. he tipped over his edge of sanity. Mm -hmm. And so we have to know if, if you know that the purity potency of the medicine, if you know the facilitation is good and that person knows how to work as a spiritual EMT, mm. right? Like what EMT and paramedic, like mm -hmm. you know how to work as a spiritual paramedic, mm -hmm. you know how to intervene in the midst of crisis, when to intervene and, and when to not try and save somebody from their own crisis because most people's crisis is their best teacher. And if you save them from their best teaching, then you've just robbed them of an opportunity mm, right. to grow and heal. So this so, is the work of a therapist or a shaman or someone who right. sits with you through this. Mm -hmm. okay. And then know when to pull the ripcord, mm -hmm. like when yeah. to know like how, like if, if things are really going off the rails, how do you intervene? Yeah. Um, so if you can trust the medicine, trust the facilitation, then you trust the process. Mm -hmm. Bad trips after that are just about ego death, mm. loss, loss of something that we're attached to identity, health, relationship, death. All of it, fear of death, fear of the mm -hmm. unknown. These, these are core issues, like let's get into that. That's, there's gold there. Mm -hmm. Usually, as long as they weren't, you know, somebody didn't have some, something on board that they didn't know, because mm -hmm. something like that, particularly at festivals, people have bad trips. Most yeah. mm -hmm. 60 it's around to 70 so much of, energy. There's so much energy and 60 to 70% of what people think they're taking, they're actually not taking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's other stuff cut in there. Or, yeah. Or and then you have like um, Kyle Kingsbury did like a 40 grams of mushrooms and he says that he experienced death over and over and over and pooped his pants and, you know, pissed on himself and he doesn't call it a bad trip. He 
right. feels no, like I, he... I, that was the friend that I was alluding to. But since yeah, I know. I know. know. <laughs> and I love that because yeah. he's going to go farther than anybody else. I mean, that's part of his makeup. That's who he is. Yeah. Anybody that knows him and sees him, he's, he's the most affable, lovable, huge mm-hmm. man. Uh, huge in spirit and in size. Mm-hmm. So he can tolerate it mm-hmm. somatically. And he also has built a, psycho- a psychology that's curious about the edge of the known. Mm-hmm. And he wants to go to the edge of the known. Yeah. Wants to jump off. Wants to have an experience and see what he can grow from it. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's up for that. Mm-hmm. And so as a result... If you have the willingness to go into the darkness and face the shadow, like Luke Skywalker did in the second uh, Star Wars, Empire of the Strikes Back, mm-hmm. right? He goes into the shadow to meet Darth Vader, cuts off Darth Vader's head, right? So bad trip, i.e. bad dream. Mm-hmm. And then Mask comes off and he sees himself. So legendary. Yeah. George Lucas is a freaking genius. And if we have the willingness to do that work, then we will learn deep material and understanding about our psyche. Mm-hmm. Ideally, it's held in the context of somebody that can help support that. If you can't handle that kind of work on your own, because it can get really freaky, Kyle's experiences are super freaky. Yeah. Most people would not come out of that experience in a good way. Yeah. And if your facilitator knows how to help you navigate it, reflect on it, lean into it, stay mm-hmm. neutral, get curious. So it doesn't become a, a deep trauma groove. Right. It becomes mm-hmm. this place of continued empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like James Hillman says in this book, um, uh, the soul's code. If I can continue to ask the question, how can I participate? Then any challenge allows me to stay in the place of empowerment and engagement and mm-hmm. not victimization right so mm-hmm. that means that actually that was james hollis uh but they're both talking about soul stuff james hollis mm-hmm. and james Hillman. and it's a great question like whatever's happening how can i participate whatever's mm-hmm. whatever crazy freak out is happening in my ego if i can ask the question what can i learn from this yeah mm-hmm. how is this how happening for me mm-hmm. right yeah how is this happening for oh, it's perfect how is this happening for me instead of to me that's so good. Two totally different frameworks. Yeah, and I, you said in part one of this episode that you learned more in one week of working with ayahuasca than you did in a decade of psychotherapy. And um, you've also said uh, um, in, in another episode I heard of yours about how psilocybin has to be one of the most exciting areas of research because the medicines that are being studied and utilized are very good for improving those five primary psychiatric conditions. Um, I think it's chronic de- depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. PTSD, addiction, and pain were the Perfect. five you listed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you've also said um, that even though you started having sex at 12, the first time you truly felt intimacy was with plants. So with those things, it um, like we mentioned a lot of scary things, but with those points, um, it's very exciting to think about when um, this does become legal and um, is used in a safe um, container you know, what the world will look like and what um, type of healing is going to take place. So. Absolutely. These medicines and these tools are the most powerful tools for transformation that we have at scale for the average person right now. 
that's not to say medicines are the only way to the top of the mountain. There's a lot of tools for transformation. There's a lot of ways to catalyze consciousness and, and medicine work isn't not everybody's ready for medicine work. So just because Mm -hmm. it's available doesn't mean it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And if it's held well, and people have been screened and they're ready, Mm -hmm. they're the most powerful, safe and effective tools on the planet that we know of for personal transformation right now. Yeah. And so it's up to us, just like, you know, I keep coming back to the Star Wars analogy. Maybe <laughs> I'm going to watch that tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, Yoda's talking about the force, the Luke Skywalker. He's like, there's the good side of the force and then the dark side of the force. Hmm. It's up to you how you engage it. And our personal power is the same way. Mm-hmm. When we have power within ourselves, that is also power to influence our environment, influence others. Mm-hmm. How do we use that power and influence in a good way? Mm-hmm. Are we doing it for benefit to the collective? Or are we, are we using our own benefit to, to serve ourselves at the expense of the collective? Mm-hmm. And, only, and, and that's a deep question that only we yeah. can answer at you know, the core of our own being. Yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if we heal our trauma, which is a, usually trauma of separation, Mm. And, and therefore scarcity and therefore like I got to get all my bananas in this one monkey suit. Yeah. If we heal that core trauma, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, injustice, deny, you know, th- those things that really hurt deep and last, when those heal, we come to a place of love, natural, because love's our blueprint. It's where mm-hmm. we come from, it's where we're going to. Love naturally expresses itself. Cooperation, generosity, reciprocity, compassion those things naturally express themselves so it's very much like many of the teachers say we're just polishing the diamond yeah we're trying to get the the layers of gunk off to express the beauty that's already there Mm. so in many ways it's not about gaining anything as much as it is like peeling back the 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 mask of delusion or the the armor of trauma Mm-hmm. Yeah, the armor of trauma, and remembering that we already are. You know, all the things that we we think are outside of us are too far from us, and we can't mm-hmm. reach. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, when you speak about what well, I feel like you're really speaking about is the the mindset of uh, scarcity as opposed to the mindset of abundance. And when we think about abundance, it being this enough to share right what is it a lot of people of are triggered in that right now especially oh my god with the hoarding and everything going on mm-hmm. right now um but that uh, idea of abundance when we think about yeah i want abundance i want a lot of stuff but it's not that you want a lot of stuff it's that you want to be able to share that's the reality because that's the truth in what you're talking about dr dan this uh love being the answer here, you know, love being the thing that kind of unites us all and sharing is the form of abundance. I think we're all looking for, we just are under these masks and disguises that say have enough for myself and just my family and keep it to me. But it's really, I I don't know. I'm not going to articulate that right. But um, (laughs) anyway, I did want to, before we move on, I wanted to, to see if you would dig a little deeper with us or just explain about uh, what Jade mentioned there that you, started having sex at a young age but you didn't actually feel intimate until you were with these plant medicines yeah you know it's uh the the first time in my first ayahuasca circle is when i felt my heart actually open Hmm. 
And it, I still feel it. I still, I can yeah. still, I, I, I still remember that first ceremony 12, 13 years ago, like it was yesterday. And Me too. yeah. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, that's such a good, and, and so many people say that, like, it's such a new experience, mm-hmm. it's such a new opening. It's such a new, that's why they call it a transpersonal process. Mm-hmm. Cause it goes out of outside of the ego and what the mm-hmm. ego's used to and all my ego defenses were around armoring my heart because I thought I needed to protect myself because I couldn't trust people and I had a lot of deep early trauma that that locked me into a a place where I didn't trust people I thought I did Uh, you know I, I did enough to play competitive sports team sports I did enough to um have fun you know as much fun as I was able to have at that point, given the level of consciousness that I was engaged in, um, with, with people that were around me. I had friends. It wasn't like I was a recluse or in a cave, but I had this, I had this strong lead vest on over my mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. And it was only when it was removed that I even knew it was there. Yeah. It was there all true. along. No, it's there. You just, yeah. get, you're like, Oh, well that's just me. That's just life. Like what else? And when people would talk about being heart open or heart centered or heart love anything, it was just like, I was like trying to read Egyptian hieroglyphics. Like, <laughs> I'm sure there's a message here, but I can't read it. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you're speaking truth, but I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a felt experience. And this is one of the things that Stan Groff speaks about in a lot of his writings is the fact that we need today more than ever an experiential spirituality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm not an intellectual or mm-hmm. cognitive spirituality. Mm. We need to have an experience of spirit so true. in our beingness. That's what's different. Mm-hmm. I think about plant medicine. It's like there's muscle memory and it's like, I don't know if there's a word for this, but it's almost like it becomes heart memory when mm-hmm. you're on the medicine. Mm-hmm. That's a cool concept too, because it's very much the case. Again, if we take that analogy, like love is our blueprint. It's where we come from. It's where we're going to then it's about us remembering mm-hmm. where we came from and where we're going mm-hmm. to and what's already there. We're remembering when you think of just if you did the entomology of the word remembering, it's bringing together parts of ourselves into a more whole experience. Mm-hmm. These different parts, these members, we're remembering as opposed yeah. to dismembering, right? Mm-hmm. We're remembering, we're reorganizing. And that's why these tools of consciousness are integrative tools. Yeah. They help us reclaim these parts of ourselves that we were disconnected to. I was disconnected to an open-hearted state of vulnerability and trust. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that because I had been closed off for so long. But when it was revealed, it was like, I now see and yeah. feel possible. And I now am not willing to go back to the, to the way things were. Yeah. And that was, that was the toy. That was the turning point, the catalyst, right? The catalyst mm-hmm. shifted that. And so for me, it was, I, I can't imagine my life without the medicine path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and there are a lot of ways to unlock the heart. This just was the way that was like the right key for the lock that I was desiring to open. Mm-hmm. And Many people experience the same thing on MDMA supported psychotherapy. Mine yeah. happened with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Some people will say the same thing on Vision Quest or when they do their first Wachuma. bath or meditation mm-hmm. retreat or Wachuma 
or 5-MeO-DMT or, you know, whether it's medicine work or different tools of consciousness, the part that we're getting to is the opportunity to open up our heart, to love again, open up our mind to find and experience our own truth, our own personal truth, not the truth that we adopted from our parents or the media at large or the culture at large, but what's our truth? Think for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then to open up our souls to our own experience of faith in this one precious life mm-hmm. and to reconnect with what the beauty is in us that's desiring to be expressed. Mm-hmm. That, that level of in, internal genius and internal, the, the fractal of the divine. Because there's never been another you. There will never be another. There's never been another you. There will never be another you. There's just like, there's this fractal, just like your tapestry behind your head. It's like this cool crown. There's this fractal of gorgeousness that is each of us waiting to be expressed. And Mm -hmm. that happens at the soul level. And that's why psyche means like the depth psyche means soul. And that's why psychiatrists should be physicians of the soul. Mm -hmm. Psychedelics are as much mind manifesting as they are soul manifesting. That's the definition Mm -hmm. of psychedelic. Because these medicines are very much that, that, that connection of all these different parts of ourselves our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our souls, helps to remember us into a more organized experience of wholeness. Yeah. From that place of wholeness, now we can move forward and live our most fulfilled life. Mm. So those awakenings that happen, like in a plant medicine ceremony, um, I, I, experience, I have very vivid dreams, and I guess I always have, and now that I journal them regularly, I feel like I have ways of, of essentially deepening them to uh, maybe it's a mini ceremony for me. Sometimes, you know, these dreams can be so um, altering because they show me something. It's like a therapy session in a sense, you know, it shows me something I wasn't looking at that was subconscious and I need to look at, but then you have this experience, you know, say it's on plant medicine, like you're talking about here and um boom you're you've now you've been tapped on you know the third eye to awaken to whatever that message was that you needed to receive through this medicine or through this therapy session or through this dream and now you have to actually do the work of integrating it remembering it deeply enough of creating a new groove you know a, a, a breaking your loop your pattern that that was involved in in some way of shattering for you right mm-hmm. And stepping into the new reality, the one you're talking about, um, you're closing the door on your old reality, you're ready to now let go of that because you saw something and experienced it so deeply on the medicine that it awakened you to the fact that there is a new truth awaiting you, which is your truth, and you're now given the opportunity to step towards that. So when we step towards that, how do we go about... um, really integrating it in our lives there forward, you know, from that moment forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's several pro- stages of that process. You were talking about the old pattern, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's the, the ordinary world. When we get called into the hero and the heroine's journey, we step out of the ordinary world into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And in that rites of passage, there's three stages in the classic rites of passage. The first stage is, disorientation or disruption we move out of what was comfortable into the unknown and the unknown is that second phase kind of between what's called the liminality or the liminal space or where the buddhas the buddhists would describe as the bardos time between worlds you're not who you were 
and you're not yet who you will become. So in many ways, like the unknown, the cocoon is yeah. the scariest place. Yeah. Absolutely. The chrysalis. Yeah. And then you move in from there eventually into incorporation or integration. And then as you do that, there's this process, there's this process of grace. And that's why I, I love the story of the butterfly because the butterfly that comes out of the cocoon, if you unzip that cocoon for that butterfly and it didn't yeah. have the opportunity to squeeze out, it wouldn't lubricate its wings so that it could fly. Mm, right. If you unzipped it for it to make it easy, it wouldn't have the strength it needed to, to go into its next phase. That's so cool. Yeah, it's such, and it's, it's so telling. It's so, and, and the ancient symbol for the psyche and the soul is the butterfly. Mm. Um, it reminds so, me of the process, sorry to interrupt you, it reminds me yeah. of the process of um, people who are dealing with a, a serious addiction and someone is enabling you know, in their family and they're never allowed to hit rock bottom. So they don't get to struggle. They don't get to feel the consequences that are needed in order for them to move past their mm -hmm. darkness. Yeah. We've also been calling this uh, the Corona cocoon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> totally. And every Easter I get the kids six caterpillars and we like um, have this thing set up for them right now. They're cocoons. So we're waiting yeah. for them to, Aww. so I'll have to incorporate that story when they, when they come out for the kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's such a telling story. And to come back to the original question, like how do you integrate? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a process. We, we need to exercise our new belief systems. We need to exercise mm -hmm. our new thoughts because mm -hmm. those thoughts create actions. Actions create habits. Habits create character. Character is the expression of our dharma and, and our destiny. Michael Beckwith has this, I love that guy too. He, he has this great saying that um, fate is what happens to you. Destiny is what you do with it. Mm. And as we create our character, it, it helps us fulfill what we're here to do and do it in a good way. Mm. And that all starts with our perceptions and our beliefs. So we have to exercise these and mm. make the new clarity of truth the new norm in our consciousness because the ego doesn't like the unknown so it's going to be easy to be seduced back into the old way of thinking so you have to be super diligent and for me it was easy when i came out of my dark night of the soul mm -hmm. to isolate because it was safer for me to do that i didn't have a i, did, I wasn't i didn't have a partner i didn't have a family i had already closed my clinic i was committed to this work I lived in a tent for a year integrating mm -hmm. and I can put on the monk robe, so to speak, pretty easily. That's an archetype that's natural for me. So for me, it was easy to just check out from everybody and wait until the entire new consciousness is the best of my ability to lock it in place. The new operating system. It's not easy for everybody to just check out right. like that. So how do you do it in, in the day to day? You stay diligent and you stay, you have some degree of accountability. So anybody like, like let's take addiction and use that same kind of, so if somebody now has the, the, the rock bottom turning point moment, mm -hmm. the level of clarity and truth, I'm not going back. Well, if they, if they don't shift their lifestyle into a sober living lifestyle 
and they're hanging out with the same group they were hanging out with before, it's going to be super easy to get seduced back into old mm -hmm. habits. If the environment hasn't changed, but you've changed, it's going to be even harder to you just, for you to stay in the new frame. Mm -hmm. So the environment needs to support the new mm -hmm. frame and you need to have accountability. Mm -hmm. That's why accountability coaching is the best predictive indicator for somebody going through a addiction recovery healing process as yeah. far as a level of success. So you need to exercise it, exercise it, exercise it until that new consciousness of understanding and awareness becomes an unconscious habit of mm -hmm. consistent action. Yeah. So you have to create the new conscious channel and practice, but that's still engagement and you do it, do it, do it until it's habit and it becomes unconscious and the new pattern for living. Yeah. I feel like there's so much of our culture currently that tells us to seek comfort over mm -hmm. the pain of what you're talking about there, the dark night of the soul. And sure. uh, something we see on the show is seek the pain for positive gain, which sounds a little masochistic, but mm -hmm. we mean, you know, this is, this is what we mean. And I think that um, we find comfort in taking pills or taking, you know, uh, alcohol or whatever it is mm -hmm. that, uh, and maybe it's even going to the therapist and saying, I'm having um, anxiety and I need uh, SSRI. I need a, you know, a Xanax or something like this, which I'm sure to some degree that helps people get out of that moment for a time. But it, obviously we know that that can become um, more harm than good. So I just love how you put that all together because that's really um you know, the answer I was looking for in the sense of we just have to look, feel our feelings, sit through the shit yeah. and really allow the, 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 the rock bottom that we need. We know that's different for everybody to, to um, come upon us or our back to be against the wall. Yeah. That's going to motivate us to move through this shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and let me just say one last thing. Yeah, please. Mm -hmm. It really helps to have community. Yeah. Mm. Really so important around people that inspire you to be better yes. and hold you accountable to be better. Yes. It's so hard to do this kind of work. In High frequency people. people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so true. That's yeah. So it's so important. Um, I understand seeking comfort in the midst of a place you don't feel safe, you know, yeah. finding it however you could. So mm -hmm. we've got a couple of magic mob questions. So we'll try to touch on as many of these briefly as possible. But the first one is, um, I would like to know his thoughts on the use of vaccines and prescription drugs for our children, like for ADD or ADHD. Is this setting them up for too much dependency on the medical industry as adults? There's a, it's a great question. This is a deep question. We got yeah. a whole series of episodes just on that question. Yeah. Um, and I, I tend to try as best I can, particularly these days, to find the middle path, mm -hmm. find the truth between the polarities. Mm -hmm. I do firmly believe that we are way over vaccinated mm -hmm. as a culture, mm -hmm. entirely so. Mm -hmm. And the way that we vaccine kids is not only way too much, it's not thoughtful mm -hmm. and mindful about how to help their nervous systems and immune systems receive all that new information. As mm -hmm. opposed to getting a blitzkrieg of eight mm -hmm. immunizations at once, Yeah, let's find a mindful way to use the top two or three 
yes, there's a conversation there about maybe there needs to be more, but let's just use that for the sake of argument. The top two or three in a mindful way that, that supports the, the accumulation and mm -hmm. integration of that information into their system. Mm -hmm. Am I a fan of the flu vaccine? No. Mm -hmm. I don't think the data is there to show its efficacy. Mm -hmm. Am I a fan of um, the MMR, the measles, mumps, mumps rubella kind of mm, uh, vaccine cycle? Not so much. Do I think if you were going to do an MMR stack, would it be helpful to do that stack a little bit more graduated? Yes. Which I don't think they even will offer that anymore. I know. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, let's out of a place, like let's do what's best for the, for the human physiology, mm -hmm. not for the pharmaceutical industry right. or the convenience of the medical model. Mm -hmm. Let's do what's best for human physiology and create the system that's going to support that best. Mm -hmm. And if, if we look at the data, the data suggests that the current vaccination administration protocol with as many of the adjuvants and metals and preservatives that are stacked in those are significantly detrimental and damaging to the nervous yeah. system. Mm -hmm. And there's a fair bit of correlation around the autistic spectrum disorder and why mm -hmm. autism used to be one in 10,000. Or one in 50,000? I think Somewhere one in 50. Yeah, one in 50,000. Now it's like one in 50. Now it's one in 50. Wow. Yeah. And that's in less than 100 years. Mm -hmm. How is that? Mm -hmm. And why is that? Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I just inherently feel really uneasy mm -hmm. about broad spectrum vaccination and the way that we offer it. I also do believe that there can be made a case for single use vaccinations if mm -hmm. we're talking about things like polio mm -hmm. or, or how about if they come out with one for the coronavirus, what are your thoughts on? Um, I don't think that's, I, I don't, there are a number of coronaviruses that are, that have already been around. Mm -hmm. right? And, and so there's been a high degree of exposure this just happens to be a, a quite contagious form mm -hmm. prior to mandating vaccinations, because if we start mandating vaccinations, yeah, what's lost sovereignty over our body temple. Is that something that we're at risk right now for, as them mandating vaccinations where we won't be able to get a license unless we, that's the rumor I keep hearing too. Yeah. And so if that happens, that's going to be one of those civil liberties that, it, that potentially is a lead domino. Mm -hmm. Just like 9-11 happened, mm -hmm. and we started losing a lot of our civil liberties, and the Patriot Act allowed for so much tracking of our private data, and even our fr private phone conversations without mm -hmm. our awareness. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen if we start mandating vaccines? Where, where is it going to go from there? Um, I think there, the data is even more effective. If you look at the data for the flu vaccine, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. If you look at the data for the Corona vaccine, I think you could say something really similar. Yeah. And so instead of going in that direction, how about we talk about a conversation around what's actually going to help rebuild natural immunity mm -hmm. versus exogenous immunity, like getting mm -hmm. something from the outside stuck into your body. 
what about building our own natural immunity? Because that's how we've evolved. Mm-hmm. Coronaviruses, this is, this isn't, viruses aren't new. Mass, mass infections aren't even new. But what happens when we start having a conversation and we look at the deep data around what IV vitamin C looks like or high dose mm-hmm. liposomal vitamin C, mm-hmm. vitamin D, vitamin A? Those are three of the most powerful antiviral components on the planet mm-hmm. that we already have actual relationship with. We have, we have an immune system that responds to those because they come from the food we eat. And in the case of vitamin D from the sun that mm-hmm. we have natural photoreceptors for, we've evolved to engage immune support over thousands and thousands of years. So I say, let's, let's maximize those protocols and orientations first. I don't like the idea at all of going into mandated vaccines. I think yeah. that's a slippery slope and it's going to be a, a bad outcome. And if it's not this that we're trying to conquer, you know, fight off, then it's something else. I mean, mm-hmm. down the line. Yeah. So I totally agree with this going on the internal route. How can we mm-hmm. boost our own immune systems? How do we, how do we become the healthiest you know, yeah. beings we can? Cause there's always going to be something our bodies are fighting off mm-hmm. at every moment. What about other prescription drugs for our children, like the ADD medicine or ADHD or even antidepressants in teenagers? Horrible. The Mm -hmm. data is, my background's in psychiatry and child Mm -hmm. psychiatry. Mm -hmm. I did a a year child psychiatry fellowship because I wanted to be able to help kids. And I saw how we were practicing psychiatry, mandating adult prescriptions to developing brains and not understanding the neurodevelopmental ramifications. Mm -hmm. Horrible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a really good book called Anatomy of an Epidemic, if you want to look like the long-term negative impacts of chronic psychopharmacology. Okay. Most of that's from adults, but there's a good section in there about child uh, yeah. outcomes too. Okay. And kids, the, the, the reason that most kids are diagnosed with ADHD and mandated medications in the first place, is we have an educational model that was built in World War II to mm-hmm. make widgets for bombers. Mm-hmm. The educational system is way outdated. Yeah. So if you have an educational model where everybody, including little Johnny, who's just super hyper and maybe really fucking smart. So you got to engage him. Otherwise you're going to lose his attention. Mm-hmm. Most ADHD, I don't know about most, but a huge subset, I think it's like 30 to 40% have, when you actually test their IQ, they have above level learning potential. They may actually mm-hmm. have a low IQ because they keep getting in trouble because they're not engaged the speed of their own informational processing, Mm -hmm. but their learning potential is massive. Mm -hmm. And so what does it look like if little Johnny is just fidgety because he's not engaged, but you stick him in a 30, 30 person uh, classroom on a one size fits all educational model that doesn't engage his skill set or his learning style in the first place. And I wonder too, if putting them on that medication takes away from that genius that they have, um, because it, it, it shuts down, it shuts down their psyche and their mm-hmm. own natural um, ability to self-select into an educational model that will fit for them. Because mm-hmm. we each have different educational styles: some are visual, auditory, kinesthetic, interpersonal, intrapersonal. The, the the primary ways that we take in and assimilate and utilize information. That's why Montessori schools, Waldorf mm-hmm. schools, are better yeah. educational models because they're individual but they're yeah. hard to scale until we change the entire system. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, pharmaceuticals for psychiatric usage, the only time that makes sense is if 
somebody's in danger of hurting themselves or other or meeting their own like safety needs. Mm-hmm. Now you can make the educational kind of um, argument that um, learning is a safety requirement because if kids don't learn that they don't develop and la la la. But I don't see it that way because what's the long-term outcome? You're going to have this little kid stuck on medications throughout their entire childhood until they self opt out of the educational model. And then they just completely derange their entire neurodevelopmental opportunity. Yeah. So you're going to stick them on at six, six, seven years old, but they're going to be on medications for 12 years. The outcomes are not good enough yeah. to justify that detriment mm-hmm. and that risk. So if somebody is standing on the ledge, right. And, and they're going to jump and they only have pharmaceuticals available to them. I say, use the pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. until you understand the deeper reason why you're going to jump. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. use it for six months because if you need to abort a crisis and that's the only tool in the toolkit right. and it's a sledgehammer, then use a sledgehammer, but only use it in a crisis situation. Yeah. Most of the time that we as child psychiatrists are inclined to medicate children is because we haven't looked at the family system or the educational system. Mm-hmm. And the kid is just an immediate, easy scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a heavy little yeah, piece of is. that for sure. I feel like right now, because of what we're going through with Corona, uh, COVID-19, the parents are very much figuring out that it wasn't a teacher issue. This whole <laughs> 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 So we'll um, see how that t- pans out for all So this. our next uh, magic mug question is, is the NFL concussion protocol sufficient enough to protect, protect the players? Uh, it's getting a heck of a lot better just in the last three years. And a lot of that was leveraged by, um, what was it, Dr. Omalu's um, work in the, in the book Concussion that became the movie Concussion with Will Smith. Mm. When he first came out with his data, what was that, 15 years ago? It was just like R.J. Reynolds that denied smoking caused cancer. Mm. The NFL wanted to deny that combat sports, getting your head crushed right. in the helmet and high-compact – uh, um, injuries successive over time was contributed to brain injury. But now it's very clear that data, and it was very clear that they were working to hold that data back. Mm. So only now, because of the lawsuits, because there's more and more of a grassroots campaign's demand that that be shown and brought into the light, now there's acquiescence. And that's happening across all professional sports, not, the, not just the NFL. Mm-hmm. I do think it's better. I don't think it's quite as good as it will be um, or should be. I think it should be a little bit more robust. I think they're on, and we even saw this last season, a couple of egregious mis, mismanagements of people that clearly had massive concussion that were allowed to go back in the same game mm-hmm. or within a few days. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got smashed. They need to be out for a good few weeks minimum. Yeah. And there needs to be enough ownership on the players' sovereignty to make their right. choice themselves to opt yeah. out. And not have to opt out of the league, but to be able to say, I'm not going to play this next game. I can't even see straight. I see two pucks when they're so going So different the in game. MMA. So different. Right? They can't wait to get back in the cage. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a warrior mentality. Mm-hmm. I played competitive soccer all the way through college. Um, All-American, captain of the team. I was super aggressive. <laughs> this was before medicine work. And <laughs> I got smashed. I got six concussions just playing soccer alone. Jeez. And I wasn't going to go sit on the sideline. No yeah. way. I didn't tell anybody. 
mm-hmm. that I just got completely yeah, so much fighters. Like stumbling around. But I mean, so, and, and, it, and it takes a number of people to see the long-term be- ramifications. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I don't, also don't want to be a vegetable when I'm 40. Right, yeah. And so it, we need to be able to educate youth. And that's mm-hmm. when some youth um, parameters are getting instated, like no heading in, in youth soccer below 13 years old, which is, mm-hmm. a, which is a much greater improvement than where it was. I don't think yeah. it's where it will be, but we're moving there. Okay. I didn't realize that. Okay. So, um, soccer under 13 years old, not recommended Yeah, in a lot of municipalities nationwide now and, oh, and wow. even globally at this point. Okay. So the same listener says, how can I not identify with my concussion when months later I am still in pain? Mm-hmm. How can I not identify with it? Mm-hmm. That's um, how he worded it. Well, I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, um, we are not our thoughts. <laughs> so, mm-hmm we can take a, a deep look at how to disidentify with the ego just itself, which is a helpful conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, at the core of our being, we're much deeper spiritually, soulfully, emotionally than we are mentally because the ego mm-hmm. drives the ship and it's kind of the, the, the navigator until we wake up to seeing the world differently. The mm-hmm. ego's built around survival. So it's going to tell us what we should and shouldn't do. It's going to be a really, harsh self-critic we tend to not like ourselves very much yeah so that's that's a separate part of the conversation but the disidentification from a post-concussed brain i don't even think that that's a healthy um orientation because if the brain is concussed we need to be aware that it's concussed. Mm. we need to actually own that and be able to communicate to the other people that can't see it Mm. including our family it's not mm-hmm. like if you got a lot of veterans coming back from war said they would rather their leg get blown off than their head get blown up mm. because you can see an amputation. You can see a broken foot. Yeah, you can right. see a broken hand. You can see there's something that needs attention. Right. You can't see a broken brain. You can't see a concussed brain. Mm-hmm. So we have to be our best advocates and we also have to take empowerment and, and responsibility for making the lifestyle choices that are required while the brain's still healing, which means no late night screen time. Mm. It screws up circadian rhythm. You Mm -hmm. have to optimize for sleep because that's the time when the nervous system recalibrates and restores and reboots the best. No alcohol, no um, overuse of caffeine to kind of of push through. Mm. Um, It might mean limiting our exposure to bright light and bright noises and a lot of information. These are all things I try to do without brain injury. (laughs) Right. I needed my sixth concussion to, and really severe post-concussive syndrome to, to really make those choices. But you already had the awareness that that's helpful for the nervous system. Anyway, Mm -hmm. when the brain's concussed, it's even more paramount that those things be instituted. Mm-hmm. And so the diet is really important, not crossing over your metabolic threshold, not pushing yourself too, too hard and too strong to where you recreate your symptoms, working with a, a, a concussed, aware and trauma trained health coach or interventionist or primary health provider, somebody that knows concussion care really well, mm-hmm. do your research. This isn't a pitch at all, but I did write a book called the concussion repair manual. Yeah. There's a lot of good information in mm-hmm. there. The reason I made that is because I wanted people to have information available to them. Right. Yeah. But we have to take ownership because no one else is going to know what our brain feels like. 
Yeah. And that's one of the f- most scary kind of frustrating things is not like, well, how can I communicate that I can't think straight? Right. It's overwhelming. My moods are crazy. You know, whatever's happening inside, how can I communicate that when all I want to do is just hold up and right. everybody else out? Yeah. Number one. And then what do I need to do in order to get the support that I need mm-hmm. to put a protocol in place that is mm-hmm. going to help? Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the documentary I Am um, about Tom Shadiak, but his concussion is really what woke him up. He wrote um, Liar, Liar, Ace Ventura, Nutty Professor, then got in a bike accident, had a concussion, and it changed how he lived the rest of his life and um, changed me and Mercedes' life. And uh, it's it's on Netflix, I believe. It's called I Am. I am um, watching that soon. Yeah, he also has a book called Life's Operating Manual, which yeah. is, explains the same story, but it is beautiful. Yeah, it's oh, amazing. Super. Thank you for that. Yeah. So the, um, we've got two left. What's the latest in technology to regenerate nerves? Stem cells. Stem cells. Uh, well, if I was to, if I was to call a single agent, there's a lot of great technologies. Um, and there's a lot of technologies that people have better access to than stem cells. Mm-hmm. We actually don't in the States, unfortunately, um, yet are able to use the most effective stem cell lines. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to Joe Rogan's podcast with Mel Gibson, he's talking to, I forget the physician's name in Panama that runs um, a stem cell clinic there outside of the country. It's more available to use differentiated stem cells that are mm-hmm. going to grow into ner- nervous system tissue. You already mm-hmm. know that versus mm-hmm. undifferentiated stem cells. We can use those here. There's a little bit of a loophole because stem cells are considered um, uh, non-biologics or some, some loophole that allows us to use them. I mean, of course they're biologics, otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't work. Um, and we've used uh, stem cells in, in some of my clinics with great success. Mm-hmm. Stem cells and exosomes. Stem, if you think of stem cells as the um, seeds for new neurons to develop, exosomes is essentially the fertilizer. Okay. the messenger signals that tell the stem cells to get to work. Mm-hmm. So those two in conjunction are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are other things that help regenerate that even more on our own. Um, hyperbaric oxygen stem cell stimulates endogenous stem cells, um, photobiomodulation, um, like uh, intracranial light that can do the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and when you think of the basic building blocks for life, oxygen, light, water, mm-hmm. nutrition, pulse electromagnetics, the mm-hmm. right kind of pulse electromagnetic frequency will stimulate stem cells to propagate. And um, when you have all of those new cells, what are things that stimulate them to work better and communicate better? Psychedelics, mm-hmm. <laughs> mushrooms, synaptogenesis. Mm-hmm. Psilocybin is amazing at creating new synapses in the brain. So what does it Zilocybin look like? Psilocybin is the latest development for brain injuries, right? Or, it's one or, of them, okay. for sure. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to study it as widely because it's illegal, so you have to go through a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. But what does it look like when we start to create clinical models right. that use all of these as stackable um, accelerant tools that work in synergy with one another? Well, yeah. The beauty of that is, yeah, then it's like, it's undeniable what's, mm-hmm. what the benefits are here and opens up hopefully rapidly mm-hmm. other doors. I love that. Yeah. But for PTSD and depression, it has, the research has been done that it is the latest development. 
PTSD is MDMA-supported psychotherapy. Depression is psilocybin-supported Psilocybin, okay. So the last Magic Moth question, what is your most important daily practice? Hmm. Wow, that's such a good question. I would have answered that differently prior to tearing my MCL. I would have said uh, <laughs> hiking. Uh, I live right at the foothill um, of the Flatirons in Boulder. Hmm. And that was my church. Yeah. Going, just going out and, and hanging with those mountains. So great. That's the same now, for Tom Shadiak, actually. <laughs> was it really? That's his church. Is He lives in Boulder. So that's his church uh, yeah. is hiking and rock climbing. I got to reach out to that dude. <laughs> he, he opened a, a rock climbing gym in Memphis where he charges, he doesn't charge anybody to come in. Um, it's the poorest zip code in America, but his, he, his home is in Boulder. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I would answer that. And so I think that's also helpful because personal practices can change from time to time. Mm-hmm. And when you have a big toolkit of a bunch of different practices, then um, you can pick and choose and, and like pivot and see which one you might pick up from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say I don't have one top. Well, I want to say three okay. meditation, sauna, playing the ditch. Mm. All very meditative. Days. I feel like too. <laughs> We're all pretty meditative. And the sauna is when I listen to Michael Beckwith and like all the dudes that are just jamming me out and in inspirational vibes now. So it's like um, a practice of a me time. Like it's a practice of like self-dedicated. That's my, that's my morning ritual. Okay. For about the first 30 minutes, meditate, get my head straight, get my gratitudes, just lock into the mothership. Then bring in extra information from the outside. Um, things that like podcasts, books, um, talks. I'll listen to that in audio mm-hmm. in the sauna and then come out, do a cold plunge and then get on the ditch mm. and after, and for a good 15, 20 minutes. And after that, I'm pretty set for the day. I'm pretty rock solid. And, and if that's, you do like a, a form of creative flow or how does that work in, into your life? Like what would you consider that for you? Um, the sound is so healing to me. Yeah. I think there's an, I haven't seen the data to, um, reinforce the neurological support because I know when you stimulate your own, um, vagus nerve, Uh you get a lot of parasympathetic. So rest and relaxation. Um. Right. But that, that's more like when you're chanting, when you're, um, doing a Brahmari meditation, which is a humming meditation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing your um, Ujjayi breathing and your yoga mm-hmm. classes like Darth Vader breath, that's mm-hmm. all stimulating your vagus nerve. So that gets you into that really deep parasympathetic oh, wow. relaxation. Uh-huh. The didge I think has a similar effect because the yeah. drone is similar yeah. to a hum. Mm-hmm. So it gets and that circular breathing. breathing. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great breath practice and it gets me into this real cool. And yeah. it's also a rhythm practice. Yeah. Right. So for me, I get curious about what are the rhythms that are going to be coming through mm-hmm. in this practice. The so same thing if I'm on the drum. I'm just like, what's, what's the, the, the spontaneous creative flow? Right. And, and, and we've lost that a lot in our culture is just getting into a creative, spontaneous yeah. flow without script, without a, a, yeah. a given outcome. It's so healing to be engaged in that curiosity. Flow mind. state. Eric Gatsby talks about art, and I would assume any musical instrument I can consider art, um, is alchemy. And it alchemizes what all our subconscious has been asking of us and what our conscious mind has been also in in 
um, taking. And so it sounds like what you're describing there is a, a three-pronged process of you're sitting in the silence that's needed to like allow that stuff to either formulate or allow it to integrate from, you know, previous time before you sit down and do that silent practice, practice with meditation. And then you sit in the sauna, you listen to, you intake new information and part of the integration and the alchemy of how you manifest that into the world later is through this flow practice, this art yeah. practice. It's like it? a breathing in and breathing out. Yeah. Um, I really want to calm drum, but now, now I want to ditch. <laughs> I want to ditch. <laughs> yeah, um, it's an amazing practice for sure. But you know, whatever those you used a good good term there, flow and and mm -hmm. art and music is alchemy. Art is alchemy. Um, yeah. Whatever we do on a regular basis to allow that flow to come out into mm -hmm. the world, because it feels like it when I when I'm not engaging it, it feels like it's pent up. Yeah, and it gets me a little fritzy. For sure. And, you know, and I'm like, I gotta, it's gotta, I gotta go for a run. I feel like that all the time now because I'm sneezing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's also a way for me to just get out the energy. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Hopefully this podcast is helping you do that. <laughs> Absolutely. I love uh, conversations. Oh, good. Um, so I do want to ask before we, we get to our, our uh, staple questions that are just a real quick wrap up of the show. Um, what does it mean to live the way of the Lakota warrior with, Hey, today is a good day to die on your breath. Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, for me, it means, have I come current? Have, got, have I gotten current in all my relationships? Is there anything left undone? Is there any resentment that I need to heal or let go of? Is there anything I need to make right on my side? Uh, is there anything I need to say to anybody? Hmm. And so that I, if, if I was to check out today, what would I regret? I love that. Mm -hmm. So relationally, I think about that. Dharmically, I think about that. Mm -hmm. like my dharma, my service. Have, have, I, have I done what I feel like I'm really here to do? Mm. And I, I think there's more for me to do. And if this was our last conversation, if right when I close up my laptop and we, if I was to just check out from there, <laughs> I think I'd be pretty content. I think there's more work for me to do. I think there's more fun to be had. I think there's more glory of life to just bow in reverence to. Uh, I think there's more chocolate chip cookies to have. <laughs> sex to have. I mean, just like the fun stuff yeah. of like what it means to be in a body and to celebrate physicality. Mm -hmm. I think there's more for me to celebrate. But I feel pretty content. I don't but feel do you like think there's that's... a whole lot in the background that would be like eating at me. Yeah. Do you think, because for me, I get a little um, sense of anxiety or urgency of like, no, I do, I do have a lot more that I want to do or a lot more I want to say to somebody. Is it, is it, I guess it's a way of like framing it in, okay, well then do it today or. Yeah. yeah. If, if what we feel we're in service to, mm -hmm. if I can do some of that service work today, then great. Let me do that. Let me do what I'm able to do today. Let me, mm -hmm. let me gain my power and my clarity and mm -hmm. my choice because mm -hmm. life goes fast. If there's yeah. one message that has always come through the medicine, particularly with San Pedro, this goes by in a whisper. 
Mm-hmm. So Which is so interesting because when you're on San Pedro, you experience 70 years in one day. <laughs> ah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, let me just use this well. And so whatever I'm able to do today mm-hmm. in service to that. And so maybe it means that it's important for me to, to, to write my advanced directives. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to be stuck on life support if I don't need it. It's, it's mm-hmm. a waste of money. It's a waste of energy. I'm already going, I'm, I'm already going back home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't need to stay here. I'm going home. Mm-hmm. And mostly the people that are stuck on life support, it's because of the people around them that aren't right. ready to let them go back home. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe I need to do my advanced directive just to get everybody else like in a good place, do my will or whatever, just or write a, write my love song to the universe. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that that thing that would just allow me to feel content, like, okay, check that. Yeah. And so I, I like the, the process of doing a death meditation. Yeah. Like wow. watching my body disintegrate, going back, watching my funeral, watching my legacy, watching things that are going to be shared, going through that process. So as to help me get clear on what are the priorities of the things that I right. can do now or in the short term, get those things done, checked off. And at, at the end of that, then see what's left to do on a daily basis, tend the garden. Yeah. Just do like chop wood, carry water at that point. It makes me realize I have some work to do there because saying in my thought of thinking like today is a good day to die. For some reason, I think like, don't say it, then it'll happen. You know, (laughs) I think that relates to like a scarcity mindset thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, it's really beautiful, Dr. Dan, um, what you're saying there relates to something we say on the show, which is think from your deathbed head, you know, mm-hmm. same idea and, mm-hmm. and a practice that my, um, my husband just did recently, which really, I saw a huge shift in him. Um, it's something that I'm still putting on paper, but, um, it's, it comes from the book, the seven habits of highly successful people, I believe. And it's to, determine what your 80th birthday will look like from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And it sounds a lot like what you're talking about there to just, you know, like a death meditation in a sense, like find a way to get that thousand foot view perspective, 10,000 foot view perspective so that you can live this moment more purely, more fully. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful. Thank and you. And a lot of what's going on right now, a lot of the fearful energy around yeah. COVID-19 is a fear of death. So that's a really powerful medicine right now, especially. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to, um, uh, how did you come across the Lakota Warrior Way? I guess I wanted to know that as well. Yeah, I was introduced to a sweat lodge community when I was living in Portland. And it was around the time uh, I was going through a big shift in my life. It was in the relationship I was in, in at the time, we were separating. Uh, I was wrestling with child psychiatry and not really liking the way mm-hmm. I was practicing medicine. I was doing integrative psych, helping, people, helping kids get off of meds, which was good. We were doing good work, but it wasn't all the soul that I was looking for. That, that came further with medicine work and ayahuasca. Um, but interestingly enough, I was introduced to this sweat lodge community. And through that sweat lodge community, I was introduced to ayahuasca through my best friend oh, okay. that I met there. Uh-huh. So they, they came very close yeah. together, medicine work and Native American wisdom. And so as I started to open up through the medicine path, I started getting more and more curious about the Native American Red Road. Mm. 
and the the traditional peoples that lived in this place called Turtle Island before my white ancestors moved in and all of that what that was all about and I I had been studying Buddhism very heavily for about four years and Buddhism is very transcendent in 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 going for compassion going for mm -hmm. love going for the purity of the spiritual connection the Buddha way is a very um, upper world process I experienced the red road and the medicine medicine path to be very lower world mm. like close to the ground okay so Buddhism was very high for me and, and like in the ethers and in the Native American teachings brought it home on, on boots on the ground like my connection with earth, earth wisdom teachings, lots of lodge. Um, and then I moved from Portland to a community where we were spirit dancing every year. And I did a spirit dance cycle for four years. Oh, wow. Tended the fire and learned the songs and, um, and really enjoyed the, the depth of the wisdom and, and the, and, uh, the purity of those simple teachings. Yeah. Having right relationship with all of our relations, so to speak, a whole metakriyayasana, that's what you say inside and outside of the lodge when you come in and out of the door. So all my relations, may I have a good relationship mm -hmm. with all my relations in this living experience. Yeah. Sounds like a beautiful community mm -hmm. just because yeah. of that idea of oneness with the world. Yeah. Uh, so there's a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. So first off, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? You're awesome. <laughs> hmm. Don't ever doubt it. <laughs> if anybody tells you otherwise, they're silly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And everybody else is awesome too, by the way. And, and, and it's up to us to help everybody remember that they're awesome too. I think it's a very important thing to tag together. Like we're all special, but everybody else is special too. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. else is awesome too. We're all part of the same tapestry. Mm. Mm. How old were you when you were hugging yourself? Oh, I think I was five. I remember this picture my mom has of me in this little like, I grew up in South Texas and I had this little Wrangler vest and this little cowboy kind of outfit on and that's, when I think of my younger kid, my little boy, that's, yeah. I always see that same picture. Hmm. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? That has changed from time to time. Um, for so long, it's been Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, Victor Frankl's work. And, yeah. And it's still way up there. The first book that ever turned me on to consciousness was Gary Zukov, Seat of the Soul. Okay. Seat of the Soul. Okay. Tasha's yeah. reading that right now. Oh, cool. it's so yeah. good. I'm so glad she is. Yeah. yeah. You know, that turned on Oprah Winfrey. Really? Yes. That's why I, I remember that, seeing it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that until I just heard of their interview. And she said yeah. that that's why she had him on like 30 times and she did Super Soul Sunday. Wow. That changed the entire way she did television and allowed her to be number one for like 25 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We saw her recently at Telluride um, Mountain yeah. Film Festival. And she, I mean, that's where she's delivering from for sure is the seat of the soul. She's yeah. come at it from such a different way. She spoke mm -hmm. to, to that a little bit during that um, talk. It was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? 
stay curious. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, let's keep the beginner's mind. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like question everything. Mm-hmm. That feels a little harsh. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like our little kids, like just stay, stay open. Yeah. Because it goes by fast and we're constantly evolving. If we weren't here to continue to evolve, we wouldn't still be here. Mm. It wouldn't be you know, a reason that we would have already done our work. Yeah. That yeah. speaks so much to your, your discussion or our discussion on flow too, because we get stuck in this black and white narrative and this rigid narrative that we have to have an opinion. We have to be, you know, um, one way or the other way on one side or the other. And that's so much, our culture breeds so much of that. So that fluidity, that openness, I think is really important. That's been a really hard struggle for me. So I feel that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Dr. Dan, before we let you go, where can people find you online? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think the most relevant websites right now, drdanningle.com, uh, fullspectrummedicine.com, concussionrepairmanual.com, uh, and the one that we're going to be creating soon is Kuya, our transformation yeah. in Austin. Yeah. Gunther was saying it's a little postponed, but still happening. It is still happening. Yeah. So exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Mm, pleasure to be with both of you, Jade, Mercedes. Thanks for having yeah. me on for the second round. And mm, yeah. yeah, thank you both for the invitation. It's been a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. I look Talk forward to, to you again. Conversation. Yeah. Bye. Awesome. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Ah, that was really, um, such I just a love him. Yeah. I love how like, I feel like we just he's sit just back. Such we, a, we don't need to talk. We get to sit back. I know he's got so much knowledge too, that he's so good at like making it so concise. Yeah. Like he's just understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your magic trick for today? Jay? So we talked a lot about brain health and one of my favorite, um, books for pregnancy is <laughs> where you get mom brain is uh, the better baby book, but they talk a lot about um, fish oil and how important it is for your brain and how important it is for your mm. kid's brain. I know that when soul got a concussion, um, Kyle, um, you know, has read the concussion repair manual and, uh-huh. and knows it um, like the back of his hand. And his, it, the first thing he told me was to make sure to give soul um, fish oil every day, but okay. But just us, we, we should have it every day because it's so good for our brains. So one of the omega-3 fatty acids, which is uh, DHA, plays a central role in the function of syn- synaptic connections, mm-hmm. which is communication points in the brain. So because of this, the brain and the nerves are so dependent on DHA for proper function that a diet chronically deficient in DHA can result in degeneration, degeneration of the nervous system. Um, So for example, a low DHA level has been associated with with a higher rate of multiple sclerosis, schizophrenia, depression, dementia, and Alzheimer's disease. So taking a good DHA, a good fish oil, um, can prevent all these things. So omega-3 sufficiency has been associated with improved brain performance as well. Mm. Um, So uh, my magic trick is just for you to incorporate that in your supplements. You, I mean... It's, it's important to have that, you know, if you're eating a good fatty fish and things like that. But, um, I know like the fish oil that I take, um, they recommend, um, krill oil over cod liver oil. And they also recommend that, um, the DHA is around, um, 
500 and the EHA is around 800. Okay. So um, you want to look at that. It, I know for me, the one that I have, what I love about it, it also has D3K2 in it. So it's like, uh, you know, it's a really good supplement because it's a couple of them all in one. But, um, but yeah, so that's my magic trick is just to incorporate uh, a fish oil into your regimen. I don't recommend it on an empty stomach. What was the brand you use? The mixture? Oh, um, do your magic trick and then I'll tell you because I'll look in my Amazon cart. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to also mention that I started taking fish oil recently because of our conversation with Dr. Dan, <laughs> our first conversation with him. And uh, I noticed, I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but so do your own research on this. But mm -hmm. I noticed that I also got a little bit of um, uh, indigestion, like... Mm, was it on I an could, empty stomach? Mm, I don't think it was on an empty stomach. I usually take my uh, vitamins and stuff in the morning with breakfast, but it was that I think because it's oil and my body's always had a, a issue with digesting like heavier mm -hmm. foods and oils and meats and things like this, where I've needed to take, you know, ox bile yeah. and other supplements to kind of help. Yeah. So you would probably have the same uh, reaction if you had like a fatty salmon. Yeah. Um, so, but the, well, there's, I don't know, but since it's such a like heavy hit of oil, and sometimes yeah. really early in the morning, whatever. All I'm suggesting is maybe if you do feel like you have a little indigestion with it to take um, some apple cider vinegar mm. or something alongside even like a little lemon juice would help with that. Yeah. Or you can take an HCL, uh, betaine okay. and pepsin. Yeah, I get an upset before. stomach if, if I hadn't just eaten. But the brand, I just looked it up. It's Wiley's Finest Wild Alaskan Fish Oil. Mm -hmm. And um, it's got D3 in it and the EPA is a thousand and the DHA is 500. So you always want the EPA to be above the DHA. You never want it to be the opposite. Um, and you don't want it to be about the same either. Some like low quality fish oils, the EPA and DHA will both be like a hundred or 200. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it, you're, you're really not getting anything out of that. So, um, so you want to make sure the EPA is 800 or more and the DHA is around 500. Cool. Okay. Get us that brand while I talk about my magic. Well, today. that's the brand. Wiley's Finest. Oh, Wiley's Finest. Okay, yeah. I didn't hear it. Wild Alaskan Fish Oil. All right. Now your magic trick. Okay. So my magic today is how to observe your ego. And this is coming from the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera, who we've had on the show before, episode number 47, if you want to go back and listen. Uh, she says something so powerful about her journey into this work of observing the ego, which I'll share first, and then I'll share her four steps that she gives um, for how we can observe our egos ourselves. So she says, becoming aware of my ego was a life-changing realization. When I was fully identified with ego, I believed I was my thoughts. I believed the stories about who I am. And in an unconscious state, I projected these stories and beliefs onto other people every day. Awakening is a painful process because you're literally waking up from an illusion of self. You begin to understand how far you've gone from the authentic self. During this time, I basically became a hermit. All I wanted to do was isolate. This is called the dark night of the soul, where you're left dizzy, wondering what the point of life even is. As we heal, we shift from living as the ego self to the observer, the witness of life. The more we practice observation, the more relaxed the ego becomes. We no longer need to fight battles to prove points because we're less attached to being right. 
Mm-hmm. We no longer habitually react from our trauma past because we've mastered breathing through emotions and letting them pass. We no longer need to achieve, perform, or manipulate because without the ego creating our behavior, we're drawn to serve. We want to support others and collaborate just as we were meant to. The ego is not bad or good. It just is. It's a neutral part of our mind that helps to protect us by keeping us in familiar patterns we have known from childhood. It just needs direction and guidance. What the ego can predict feels safe. What the ego cannot predict feels like true danger. And this is why ego always gets in the way of healing because to heal is to consistently choose new behaviors. New behaviors in the unknown feel like a threat for the ego. So practicing ego work is all about becoming aware of what you think and how you respond. Here are the four steps for how to observe your ego. So first, spend 10 minutes in silence every day noticing what you think. Number two is when triggered, breathe through it rather than reacting and notice how you feel. Number three, when you speak about other people, notice the way you describe them. This will show you what you believe to be true Mm. or not true about yourself. That's a good one. Number four, be mindful of how often you give advice rather than just sit in silent support. This is ego projection. So this is how we begin to self-heal, guys. And I know for me, I'm, I'm still very much on this journey in these really tough moments, what she's calling the dark night of the soul. And that's you know also what we obviously spoke a lot about today in our episode with Dr. Dan, where you're shedding an old ego-based identity. Those moments can be really heavy. And for me, they seem to come in waves. And um, in those tough spots, I have to force myself to remember that this is a journey of self-realization and so it's okay to go slow. Mm -hmm. So I would invite y'all to join me in this work and stay tuned into the magic hour, of course, so that we can help guide each other through this process. And I want to thank you guys for doing this work because I know just by listening to this show and letting any of this stuff sink in from these powerful guests like today's, um, you're doing some heavy work, heavy lifting. I love you for that. And I'd like to um, edit the fourth one to say unsolicited advice, because when I like contact you or Paige or Natasha for, Mm. um, on something I'm going through, I'm looking for advice. So, um, I don't feel an ego projection from you guys when you're, um, offering me your thoughts. So I think when it's unsolicited advice, that's when it's ego projection. Um, that's a good clarification, but you know, to that point, just to get even maybe more clear, because I think it's so important. It's like something Dr. Dan was talking about, uh, how we need to sometimes just sit and allow. Like he was talking about shamans and mm-hmm. therapists in a in a in a uh, plant medicine ceremony, where they mm-hmm. are able to recognize where they need to mm-hmm. sit back and allow mm-hmm. your realizations to come on their own. That's true too, because that's you know, self-experience. I think he was pointing to um, uh, Stan Groff, who he said talks about self-experience being this super important part of how we learn yeah. and how we deepen the grooves we That's need. True. And feel. So yeah, all of it. Yes. And let's say <laughs> to that. That's true. <laughs> all right. Magic lovers. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, 
please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at The Magic Hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all of your feedback and really want to know what's lighting you up. Yes, we do, fam. And we release a new episode every Monday. So you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our past episodes in our podcast library now. We'll meet you there. Until then, be a light. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals. So following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves.